It's me. Yeah. We're going to do a thing. Talk with my best friend, Ron Taylor, about movies and stuff, but mostly about Penny Dreadful because he is one of the smartest men I have ever met in my life. And I genuinely believe one of the smartest and most capable people on the face of the earth. And I really enjoy talking with him about stuff. Uh, back to the, yeah, I heard that podcast days. But for him to take some time and talk with me about a show that we both really love called Penny Dreadful is a joy for me. And I hope that it is a joy for you. And we talk a little bit, just a tiny bit about Oscar nominations at the end because, you know, movies and stuff. And we like making movies and stuff and we like making stuff. So here is that conversation. Uh, if you enjoy it, please rate the podcast five stars. I would very much appreciate it. Where I was going with that is I'm writing this. I'm writing the thing, and I'm trying to make sure that the thing is good for you, right? Because I'm going through people's processes and stage plays and why they write and how they write. So the idea that beauty for me is different fits. Because it's like, oh, okay, cool. I don't actually have to. I have to make this fit for somebody later. But what's going to separate it in as far as being different is that it is me. And that's something I don't actually have to cook up, which is nice. I can just do that. No, I'd say that like that's one of the, the best things about you know reading your writing is that it's it's very easily easy to tell that it's you, right? Like, I think a lot of people, I, I say like a lot of screenwriters. If you listen to screenwriters talk, they're trying to make the biggest, like, they're trying to make a very particular project. Only occasionally does a, a writer who has some screen cred, screenwriting credits, only, like have few because they had a very particular story. The rest of them are like. Yeah, I could write the next uh, Marvel movie. Like, of course, I can give you a blockbuster. You need you need a romance that'll uh, set, you know that you can use for five or six lifetime uh, or or TV channel uh, TV channel uh, ABC Family movies, right? Uh, but yeah, I look at yours as like, oh no, there's nobody like this that exists. And, and I mean, that's sometimes it's a double edged sword, but for the most part, it's like congratulations for being original. Like, and I mean that from the heart. First of all, let's not let's not. It's not shit on the movie channel. The movie channel saved saved a lot of people, saved a lot no, of people, like saved a lot of jobs no, too. No, it's fine because I, I, I've actually been going through uh, the, the start of this year. A friend of mine said, "Ron, you should get into romance." And like last year, I tried to get into like romance movies, but I don't think that I did. That I think I tried to get into like sad dramas that are love stories as opposed to like capital or romance. Uh, and like, yeah, no, that's absolutely a, you know valid fiction. Have at it. Um. Yeah, you're right. The movie channel, ABC Family, all that other stuff. Christmas in July. It does a lot of work for a lot of people, and I, I'm not gonna throw stones at it. At least not anymore. So, in writing this thing, and thinking about writing, and thinking about screenwriting, and whatnot. Well, you know what I've really come to enjoy is looking at other people's notes about storyboarding and going, "You didn't actually have anything at all. You just." You just went. You just pulled this out and then said, oh, I have a thing. Um, and, and, and then somebody helped you pare that thing down. Because I'm, I'm in the process of, you're, you're nodding, but I'm in the process of, I'm using index cards like in Celtex. Mm-hmm. Or is it, is it Celtex or is it CellTX? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I look at it all the time. I never expected to say that loud. Right. Anyway, I'm using the index card to plot. Right to know where I'm going because I am fascinated with parallels, uh, with parallel narratives, and 
I want to know where I am going. And then when I know where I'm going, it's easier to write within that because like, hey, I'm going to go A to B to C to D. At B, I'm going to make sure that I get this idea out. But there's room for me to have fun with this in, you know, scene, setting, character, and all that sort of thing. And then looking at what other people do, like, did you know that Ezra, OJ, Made in America, Ezra wrote a paragraph memo about what that was going to be? And that's the show? That was the show. I love it. I, I, like, I tell you this all the time. It's like, as we watch a movie, whether we like it or not, I'll point to it as like, that movie was written on a napkin. Golly! Yes! Yes! I... This movie was. I'm going to. I'm going to crash this plane. I'm going to blow up this building. These two are kissing, going to kiss on top of this bit of architecture. That's what I wrote down, and everything else we've either paired up to it or paired down to it. So, another thing that I'm working on in conjunction for my my um, my big job, right? My capital B big job uh, is a is a show, and I wrote notes to this show. Like I had a conversation with. Uh, boss's boss about what this is going to be how it's going to go and took notes and whatnot and i sent him back like a big plan memo like with plot points and like with bullet points and like times and all this stuff and he writes back this is too much like <laughs> that was that was it and he was like he was like we'll we'll build it as we go hey we'll build it as we go and i'm like yeah it's like it's, it's like it's not too much we'll see right, right? you know like Look at it. We'll get. We'll, we'll talk about it next week, right? Man. All right. All right. So I'm thinking I'm I'm being big P professional, and he's like, "Hey, <laughs> coming on a little strong here, player." So I'm I'm still looking around at other people's processes, and then I sent you that note um, with the interview Tracy Let's perform, where he was like, "So what have you, what have you made?" Like that was the question. It was just, "What have you made? What have you created?" Nothing. <laughs> And he has his reasons, but I'm going, man, I guess I'm expecting so much, not just from y'all, but from myself, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to have this conversation with you about Penny Dreadful, because that was not written on a napkin. It felt very plotted. It felt like that man showed up with a plan and was allowed to execute that plan for three years. No, that's that, that's absolutely true. I I go back and forth on whether, like, I think you're, you're right that somebody wanted to make the that that John Logan right, right. The, do the the show, create a show, directed the show, that or, sh- or ran the show, ran the show, yeah. He, that he absolutely that this is a a labor of love, and a lot of the things that he put in the show wouldn't work unless it had like unless he had a hand in it other like past writing it mm-hmm. it's like i have to get these people on it i have to get this composer i have to get like all of this has to come together or else i don't know if it i don't know if it like stick together because i do think that a lot of it was kind of written on, on a napkin it's like ah what if there's a handful of like written on napkin parts for me oh okay uh, let me let me let me let me guess one let me guess okay. one yeah uh lucifer and Dracula as brothers. No. Okay. Okay. No. Okay. I think they're a little bit more more visceral than that because I don't know if, uh, if those are the those are the cases, but I, I'd say more so. Uh, uh, Frankenstein's monster 
coming out of Frankenstein's monster. Stuff like that. Oh, I felt like that was thought through. I I feel like that was John Logan was at a party, <laughs> saw somebody come out of a cake, and that. <laughs> Just gonna I'm gonna write this down real quick. Put the, like rush over to my notebook and like we'll get to that later. Yo, man, like it's interesting you say that because like that is the part of pro- uh, process of making something of writing something that I find the most harrowing. Because, you know, I'm, I take notes on the books that I'm reading, on the stuff that I'm reading, and I put that away for later. But also, I'm constantly thinking about the thing I'm working on, whether it be the Tulsa Race Massacre book or this other project. And I'm trying to find different ways to make that original and or new or to make it go. Like, there's a part of me that has turned this project that I'm working on for us into speculative fiction that goes into a place of, like, John Wick um, believe it or not and uh but then there's a part of me that's like no what if i just stay in a stage play and make this classical art in the form that you know you're not going to come out there with a gun on a stage not not really right you're not going to come out there and uh make ghosts on a stage not not really unless you're doing something like hamlet right mm-hmm. or macbeth and I'm trying to, I'm vacillating between those two things, but I'm vacillating between those two things because I'm not clear on where I'm going just yet. So the idea that my man would see somebody bursting out of cake and then put that in his pilot episode, like, yeah, okay, no, I'll, I'll go with that. Because, and then how do you, like, I walk around with mole skins and I don't always get to take it out. Like, that's the other thing that bothers me. Like, I'm constantly on my phone and then I'm going to Ron being like, yo, man, is there a way for me to back up my notes? Because, like, I have literally 1,200 notes on my phone that I really want to keep track of because I'm constantly making something. I have, uh, I, like I have two, two gallon sized freezer bags full of scrap notes of, yeah, this would be a good idea. Oh man, let me write this down. Not, not all of them are, are creative projects. Like not all of them are like literary projects. Some are like, yeah, I guess you could weld this thing to this thing and make a brand new thing. Like on my desk right now, I, 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 I have three, three notebooks, right? Like, I understand that process. Like, so like whenever I see something written on that, I'm not mad at it. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy whenever I see something like that. I, what I hope is that the thing that was written on that is now surrounded by something that's good. I'd like to, like, I've been a big fan of Penny Dreadful for a long time. And so whenever you you came up to me not too long ago, said like, man, Penny Dreadful season three might be the most perfect. Like one of it's, it's might be a perfect thing. Maybe not the most perfect thing, but a perfect thing. And, what is it about this show, particularly like this last season, that speaks to you so much? The elegance of plot, the elegance of through line. I, I'm not a fan of bottle episodes, particularly because I think they're an excuse to not follow through on the work. It is an excuse to try to get this to work this thing out that I don't always feel is supporting your project. Because the, there's a thing that you said about, say, the mummy, and that there's no wasted there's no wasted movement. There is no wasted movement in Penny Dreadful, and you can tie everything back to the pilot episode, every single facet of it, and you know how it makes sense, and you see how the puzzle is coming together, and the way that he's able to finish it, like, that's why I like season three the most, is, yo, man, you raise the bar for difficulty to 12 when you decide you're going to take this to New Mexico, 
because you could have ruined this. You, like, I see all the ways that this comes apart, and you introduce new characters as you're finishing a story? Like, Elmer Leonard does this, too. He, he drops a new set of characters, like, halfway through the middle of the story to, to finish out the story. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But this is one of those times where not only you drop new characters, you basically reintroduce the same character in completely different clothes with the same actor. What? And then, you know, the perfect elegance of Ethan becoming a werewolf, about to go after them, uh, after them vampires, and then, you know, my man Wes studies like, oh yeah, I'm a werewolf too. Also, I'm the reason you're a werewolf. My bad. <laughs> not even my bad. No, I gave you this because you're a good dude. I cursed you because, you know, I'm not a good dude, but you are a good dude. Yeah, let me tell you that uh, I, I, I'm I'm the curse, and uh, look, but you you're the wolf of God, right? So uh, don't worry about all the things that made you sad in the past, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say that with with this last season because I, I just finished it this week. Uh, season three has no surprises for me. Okay. Not not because not not that I wasn't uh, I didn't like it or or anything like that, but. I've given I've given myself Penny Dreadful is not one of those shows that I ever decided to analyze. It's a show that I just fell into, just right, just took me took me to the good version of the sunken place. And so, I, as the show is happening, like yes, I do like that. Yes, I do like that. Would you would you please give me some more to get the third season? Turns out we have two werewolves. I'm like I'm not even I'm not even surprised. It's like of course. Of course, there's two werewolves, and we're and we're like we're gonna, and these two werewolves are going to find their own way in because they're both lone wolves. <sighs> I, I sighed heavily at that, but it wasn't like I wasn't mad at it. It was like, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. No, man, I, I, I truly as as I as I think about it, as I talk about it, I truly love Penny Dreadful. Yeah, no, I mean, and you know, like Billy Piper and the character that evolves. And the way they're able to call back an earlier version of her. By the way, I have never been so entranced by an Irish accent ever. Usually just grates on my nerves. Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, I know. All right. Yeah, I know. No, that's fine. Because it's not like I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on this earth to cape for Ireland. So I, I, if I gave you a face, I'm sorry. Mm. You don't like Ireland. That's fine. If you don't like, you don't like. I don't even know what the what the regions are. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fault you for that because I, I real as soon as I gave you that stink face, I was like, what? I just crazy. I don't nerves. care either. You know, it's 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 like in this instance, I enjoyed hearing her speak, but I also I think a lot of that is the parlance for which he used. It wasn't just the accent, right? It was also every single word in this TV show is beautifully chosen. And it is the thing, like I said to you after re-watching it again, I need to read more poetry because it's going to make me a better writer. Because that was, that was a through line that I really enjoyed. Even, bless God, Josh Hartnett, who cannot do this at all, was given some really nice things to say. And can you ask for more than that as an actor, to have some really nice things to say and to be given two minutes to three minutes here every now and again to just say, hey, do your worst. Go after it. 
it's a it's a big fun costume drama and you got to be a cowboy in another land i you know that's basically shanghai nights i'm glad josh hartner got some work he like i told you he sticks out like a, <laughs> not say a sore thumb but he is like he, like i said he is a kazoo surrounded by bassoons and french horns who are who are given the most beautiful loaded language and then we cut to Josh Hartnett it's like yup <laughs> that's right so there's a line in necessary roughness that is uh my man Manu Manu who is caping for caping for Kathy Ireland's character and and you know kicking dudes out of the shower so she can go shower by herself and the character says to Manu Manu I'm an armadillo just like everybody else. And he says, you're an armadillo, but not like everybody else. That is how I feel about George Hartnett here. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're part of the troop, but you ain't like the troop. <laughs> and, and every day since then that, that we had this little, since I brought this up to you, I've been looking at other, at other actors who I think probably could have slotted in. Like, you need an American. Mm. Got to have an American for the, you want this story to work. Like, all right. Or at least a North American. Who else can we put in here? And last night we watched The Mummy mm. and I thought, ah, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser, you could have slotted him right in. I think he could have made it go. I think, I think the, the, you know, dealer's choice would be uh, Keanu Reeves, but you know, you only have so much juice to work with. It's an interesting thought experiment because uh, I think it was Wesley Morris that first put this on my mind, but it was, you know, if you can slot somebody else in there and it's a different movie, then that person was cast perfectly to do this. Uh, if it was a good movie, if it was, if you could slot anybody else in there, then it's a bad movie, right? And most of what we have seen or what we might think of as good passes that test. So like in thinking about Penny Dreadful, one of the other things that I'm taking apart, because the way I see things is how they're written, not how they're portrayed, which is another reason that, like, writing this thing, I'm going and vacillating between, yes, visual, because you are a visual person. Um, it is to use, I think, one of your most developed skills. But does this work as a radio play? Yes, because dialogue, because snappy, because that's who I am, right? Matter of fact, in getting line edits uh, from my editor, by the way, my, my, my editor asked to move a deadline back, which is a win for me. Ah, all right. Yep, yep. Pray for more time. No, no, but he wants more time. I'm he, saying. Yeah, but like, I'm just saying, like, for an editor to ask for more time, yes. But also, it wasn't the writer going, hey, dog, uh, I got stuff to do. Sorry. Because that's usually what happens. But I bring that up because... He's asking for more description. He's asking for more um, showing rather than telling. And I'm like, yeah, I know that one, but I'm a teller. <laughs> like, Boy, howdy, are you a teller? <laughs> so, like, when you ask me to show stuff, and by the way, my, my eyes glaze over when somebody is describing <laughs> something, like in print even. Like, my, I'm like, get me back to where we're talking about the doing of stuff. You know, like I'm reading The Water Dancer, Ta-Nehisi Coates' uh, Slave Narrative, which I highly recommend to anybody who is listening because 
Ta-Nehisi decided that he wanted to go and write the great American novel. And I think he succeeded. And I'm only halfway through the mob. That's high praise. Yeah. No, he's, he is, he is swinging. And I went to, you know, look at some of the stuff that he had used to tell this story. So I bought all those books and I'm going to read all of those books as well. Try to fill out around it. But all to say, when my man tries to start describing these places, it ain't really that he's describing the places. What's great about Tanahasi Coates is he's a critic. Like he is able to draw comparisons and objectives that I don't think normal people can draw. I just I just don't. And that's when he's doing that in the middle of telling a story, I'm like, oh, you are leaning into how you are good as opposed to trying to show everybody you can do something else. Because that was my fear, especially with an essayist, right? Because an essayist is a teller. A, a, a novelist, not necessarily, but can be a teller. So when I was reading it, I'm going, okay, how do I lean into what I'm good at, but, but also give people what they want? In, in this way, being my editor, more description. How do I get into that? Because, like, I brought this to you. What's the difference between a slave revolt and a prison riot? Not as much as you like. Right, but how often do we make those comparisons? Not often enough. Yeah, so I'm going to work on that as well. Right. So I'm, I'm in there. Uh, by the way, if y'all if y'all pilfer this uh, this this idea, I will sue you um, anyway. Penny Dreadful. That's right. We get, that's why you got to put it on napkins like uh, 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 I did it first. So Vanessa Ives is the main character. Yes. Yeah, yes. OK, because I don't think it goes without her. Well, I don't know if it goes without all of them. I think that if you were to, if you were to give somebody the the tippy top top billing, mm-hmm. yes, it would be her. And then after that, it kind of gets real muddy. I mean, as far as like ranking who's the, who's yeah. lead, right, right. Uh, and we would make an argument, I think, that she is the person who changes the least but also affects the show the most? Or is it Frankenstein? Uh, not Frankenstein. Um, John Clare. My fault. There's too many people that, that change, but I don't know if, if that changes a, like a notable, like a notable difference. Because if you look at somebody like Vanessa, my dearest Vanessa, a lot of her journey uh, is is the internal made external. Who's like, I don't know if I'm worthy. Maybe, maybe it really is all my fault. How can I atone for the the things that I do? And like, it comes up with like, and the things that it makes those points with is like, all right, vampires, and then witches, but then vampires again. Uh, maybe a werewolf. So I don't. I don't know if she actually changes all that much as opposed to just continues to grapple with the same problem or, you know, the sequence of problems or related inter- integrated problems. If you look at somebody like John Clare, who is, am I, who, what am I? Am I a man? What makes me a man? Am I? And then, then, and then man questions, which is like, am I a man worth worthy of love or respect? I am. How much? Uh, how do I, you know, and then you have somebody like, uh, your boy Josh Hartnett, who what's his name, Ethan, Ethan Chandler or Tolbert, depending on who you want to talk to. Uh, well, <laughs> Mama calls Tolbert, I'm called Tolbert. There you no, go. Uh, <laughs> like his 
his journey is is not uh, is you know I lo- loving somebody and letting them go and then having another love uh, and then and then also like a very like a truly external story of like what is family is it the family that makes you or the family that 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 you make and then is it the family that makes you it's it's, it's so much like so I don't know if she if she moved like her movement is a lot but it's very heavy. Hmm. And everybody else is, I think, are, are, is also equally as heavy and also moves a lot more. But I don't know if it's as, as like pertinent as, as Vanessa's. That's why I like this show so much. Because we, we asking questions of everybody who are, uh, who do not think that they deserve their worth. They are either uh, full of grief or remorse uh, loss, sadness, and then must find their way past those things or through those things. So I thought about a better character to examine in this way. And I believe it's Sam Benny. Okay. Also, the, the, one of the things that this, this movie does not, it doesn't pass the test, doesn't pass the black folks in horror test, does it? Not really. Man, I was no. so like I forgot about that. It, like, it does not. Golly. <laughs> like after all that, y'all let that man walk in the door first and let that man die ugly. I've seen this movie. The black man dies first, and damn it, that's what happened again. At the very least, everybody dies ugly. If they die, there's there's no swan song. It's it's explosive and, and bad. And, and brutal and ugly, so at the, at the very least, he his death wasn't treated any differently than anybody else's. But I don't, don't you give me no no any more African man serpents. Thank you, my man. It's like your what? I don't care how many I don't care how many Baptists he has or how much screen time he did. Do not give me another African man serpent. Also, Thank you. you 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 made like I didn't understand how. You're trying to add to this man's grief. You're trying to add to this man's pain because one of the things that you had um, seen that you pulled out was everybody is tortured in some way, right? Everybody has their own grief, their own depression they're dealing with. But y'all, y'all gave me an African that sold people into slavery. Like, you, did you need to do that? Do you need to do that? Because, like, he's the dude that nobody knows anything about. And the, the thing you learned about him is, nah, I got these marks because... I sold people into slavery, and I'm going, yo, look, look here, Bill O'Neill. Um, I mean, you're not wrong, but he's also, and this is because like everybody's awful. Like the only person I would say is kind of not awful is until the third season is Vanessa, because Vanessa is just like, I made a bad decision as a kid. I didn't, I didn't want it to happen like it did. I'm sorry, but Malcolm is, uh. Other than like, well, yeah, I'm gonna leave my family home to go chase adventure. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna go kill savages. Not, not find adventure in deepest, darkest Africa. That I called savages. That I that that they called savages. No, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kill people and then tell my child I'm gonna name a mountain for him and where you know what I'm sure this mountain already had a name. Like if, if for start like it's there's so yeah, much there. I, yeah, I I only bring that up. It's like yeah, Sam Ben is he's off. He, like he's a terrible character that I, I probably would have omitted but as far as like fitting in with everybody else yeah he's I mean, 
even as a character, like, as I said, no, don't give me more African man service because I don't need anybody to empathize with on this level. But he, that dude's a monster and he believed himself to be one and he had to find some way to work through it. And his way of working through it is taking care of the dude that was going through Africa, killing the Africans. I say it was a perfect solution. Man, talking about remember who you are. I'm like, nah, let that dude cook. Let, 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 let that dude cook. I'm not saying go in there and, you know, make it hard for him. I'm saying you can keep walking. It's okay. He'll figure it out. He's a white dude. It'll happen. You know? And, and the story is written by a white. That was the other thing. I was like, is this white dude going to kill the white dudes? Is he going to do that? He killed a lot of white guys. Yeah, he, well, killed, he, killed, he killed a lot. He snapped a lot of necks. <laughs> you, can't, you can't say John Logan didn't kill people because he absolutely did. <laughs> well, it, it, that was the other part about the show that I really enjoyed is I learned there is some measure of horror that I will accept. There's some level of gore that I will accept in service of a good story. Uh, you're using classic legends that we know about from Frankenstein to you even work in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde without ever showing us Mr. Hyde. Like, that for me was a tremendous amount of restraint because the closest you got was my man, you know, would raise his voice. Yeah, I'm not going to throw stones at that. That's fine. Yes, you're absolutely correct. I, you told me earlier as, as I was working my way through the season that, uh, yeah, the, the, the show had to gallop to the end. Because it was it was going to be over, right? And there's a handful of those that are like, uh, like Doctor Jack, like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and how they how they connected those two. It's like, yeah, you only had a day left. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, I'll let it go. <laughs> Continue. No, there were there were a couple of spots for me that that were like that, but also. You know, I forget my man's uh, given name, but Logan Roy showing up to be Ethan Tolbert's daddy. Yes. I was like, oh, I I completely forgot about that before the rewatch. And I was going, I don't know how much I really wanted this until I saw it. Because that dude is auditioning for Logan Roy in addition to being who he is. Because the thing I love about Succession is that. Brian Cox. Thank you. Brian Cox. Mm. The thing I love about that is my man had affected a look to where he would not even have to answer someone's question as they posed it to him before they would come to understand what happens next. Like, what is my man, Kendall? It's like, or, yeah. or, or I could do, or I could do the, or I could do the other thing. Yeah, he's just, he's just staring at him. And you never get to hear this man, or say this, you don't really get to hear this man speak, like, really. Until a little bit later in the show, which I thought was a brilliant move. And I, I wish they would have kept that up for a little bit of time to make that man just a little bit more mysterious and lend some more to his mercurial nature. But um, um, that, that's a different show. All to say, I really enjoyed that that man was cast in this role. I'm, I'm really, I really enjoyed that I got to see him work once again. I'm trying to think what else I liked about this show that I want to talk with you about. Um, how did you feel? about Vanessa Ives as as the mother of evil 
whether she wants to be or not? I I think that might have been I think this is one of those maybe maybe this TV show should, or this last season instead of being what nine episodes maybe could have been eleven mm. you probably could have, or maybe maybe ten because because the conversation that Vanessa has with herself or uh, you know two others about herself does not necessarily make me believe that she would make this choice of. Uh, that I am a great evil, but I understand it thematically. If you watch the the, the rest of the two seasons, because right. she definitely is very hard on herself. Flip side, man, Bride of Dracula, yeah, yo, let's go, right? Absolutely. Like we did the Bride of Frankenstein, we did the the the, the Bride of Dracula. Let's, you know, it's we doing things. Like John Logan is not dumb. Uh, I think he might have just been caught in the middle place between needing to uh, make this the emotional home for this character versus like, I got to do this thing. Trust me. It's cool. And it's like, yeah, like it, it, my heart says it's cool. Cause it, and so I'm just, I'm okay with it. Uh, it definitely needed a little bit more time, but it's a time they didn't have. He was, he was telling the Epic and like, I'm fine with it. If I had to give an answer, I'm fine with it. Could have been better. Only thing that I would have changed is to give it more. Also, what's the budget on? I mean, we can look this up, but like, what's what's the budget on how much they spent to make one of these episodes, you think, based on costume, uh, set, environment? Like, there, there's a lot of money that was spent to make this look the way it looked. That's funny that you bring it up because it makes me think of uh, we... Uh, the, the world just finished WandaVision and WandaVision had the one of the highest uh, budget per episode TV shows in history uh, like right right below Game of Thrones wow. and maybe like another show it's uh, not that good we'll get to that later oh yeah but, okay yeah if if you look at WandaVision and then you look at any given episode uh, like besides like the desert episodes of of Penny Dreadful. There's a lot going on here. It's a lot of dress, uh, a lot of either CGI or like practical work. And I'd say dollar for dollar, minute per minute, scene per scene, Penny Dreadful looks better than than WandaVision, which is a very expensive show. So I don't I don't know. <laughs> I want to say it's, it's about up there, but it can't be because there's no way that anybody would have Penny Dreadful was not popular enough to demand a, a budget like that. So, I don't know, probably a quarter of well, WandaVision. Well, um, where I'm going with this is, I don't know if you noticed, but I, I noticed uh, toward the end, these these TV shows were, like, produced by Sky in addition to, right? Mm -hmm. So much so that I think the, the, last, the last episode has a completely different intro. Like, they tore up the old one, and they dropped this one on top of it. And I wanted to know, what was that about? Because you can tell me that it's just to commemorate the last episode. I'd believe you, but that's not what I think. So in the, in the budgeting and financing of this show, especially getting it to the end, I wonder how much of that was John Logan having to write emails to people going, yo, just let me finish. Find a way. Find some money, please. <laughs> 
I wouldn't doubt that because the show, while being very beautiful as it gets to the, the last couple episodes, the the quality of a lot of the effects kind of falls off a cliff. They wanted to talk about a, a, a real thing that happened in Britain. I don't think they had the budget to absolutely pull it off, which is like that, uh, like that smog that they walked through in the last few. That's a real event. That's a thing that actually happened in, in London, where uh, was it like a negative pressure system mixed with fog and smog during the Industrial Revolution? People just killed over because they don't have enough. Like there, smoke is bad for your lungs, dog. Right. Shocking. Uh, so you know. They, they tried to be interesting, and I don't think they had the budget for it. Yeah, and that's that's another thing that, you know, novels versus making movies and whatnot. One, there's a lot more people involved, and one of the things that I think makes me queasy about TVs and TV shows and movies is how many people are involved and how many people feel they have things to say about how this show goes or how this movie gets made. And I'm going, nah, man, you gotta, you gotta have one cook, you gotta have one person, and novelists are usually that one person. Like they work with an editor who makes suggestions, but you you don't have to take them. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that I keep talking with my editor about is, you know, he's I can't wait to get line edits back because I recognize his skill. I also recognize his live experience. I I want to take advantage of all of those things. But you know, he'll make edits for other people that are just like, no, nah, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna do this. And I'm going, all right. And I can't imagine what that's like in film and TV. So, like, I read about Daniel Kaluuya auditioning for Fred Hampton in Judas and the Black Messiah. And they had a table read with, you know, him, Lakeith Stanfield. Like, they brought in hitters for that speech that he gave at the, at the church. And Shaka King is over there basically biting his nails because he's asking for an extra million dollars to shoot the movie. And it's all writing on how Daniel delivers, how they deliver in this table read, while the four people in the room that can make a decision about giving you a million dollars decide whether or not they think this is worth their time. And I'm going, y'all don't make movies. Y'all produce some. Please, let Shaka have this money. Don't put him through this. Because like, I'm, 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 I'm in the Shaka position of, no, 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 this is my story. I am passionate about it. I know where I'm going. I know what I need. I'm not asking for any more than I need. Let me go. Now nah, we got to see it first. We, we got to see everybody around the table. And we got to, we, we'll make our own decisions. <gasps> get, get away from me. I, but I also, but I also think that there's another side to that is that if there's somebody who's like, I got it, I got the juice. Let me, let me, let me, let me cook. Mm-hmm. And you have that other meeting where they've already cleared the, how much money that, that you have. And they hear your writing coming through these people's mouths. Like, Oh no, we've made a terrible mistake. Like this thing is this thing is actually pretty trash. Uh, like it's like I, making movies is a miracle, right? It's, it's so, so many things that are that are happening all at the same time. Anybody that puts together, I, I don't I don't care about your 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 Michael Bay flicks, but like your your smaller films mm-hmm. that the fact that they get made and some of them are even good, uh, uh, they've been blessed. But the yeah, I mean that's. That's the part of the work that I find so like interesting is finding the places where you can succeed because like at that point you you're playing the I'm trying to just take what the defense gives me right it's 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 very much like 
Daniel Kaluuya, which man, get a fan for phenomenal job. Like, oh, I'm ready to run through. I'm ready to did run he get, through did, walls. Did he get an Oscar nom? Um, I'll look it up. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's fine. But the uh, yeah. So like, uh, when you're when you're in that when you're in that space, or like the as as a creator or showrunner or like the, the person that's leading the charge on making this film, your director, writers, or whatever, auteurs. That you need these other people to help you succeed. And I know, like a lot of, like you told me, as as a as a as a novelist, as a you know me- memoir essays, you're you're a more traditional, classical, classically trained writer. It's like no, like in my, in my neck of the woods, the thing that's good is completely dependent on me. But on this, uh, it's it's like being the coach of a football team. Like yeah, if you do the things that I tell you. That'll be great, but then you find out you have a starting five of Timothy Dalton and Eva Green and the and Rory Kinnear, and then it's like and also Josh Hartnett make it work. Oh, that's right. That's your your two minute soliloquy. You remember right, so look, 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 the uh, that that soliloquy that that monologue that uh, uh, Billy Piper gave at to to, to Doctor Frankenstein at the end is not anything that you could have given Josh Hartman. And you have to know that you could never have done that, even if you had the story it written down on the page for, for, you know, for him to do that. You don't have it. It's gone now. So you can't say, but it's good, though. Like, it wouldn't be. You know, and you know it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, you know, that, like, to, to your point, Vince Gill once said, even the worst TV episode you've ever seen in your life was incredibly difficult to make. Which, you know, is another reason as to why if I made something I didn't think was good, I'm not putting it in front of y'all. Because I worked too hard for y'all to clown me. Like, you, you said this about uh, uh, One Woman 1984, which is if I just put out something that, you know, I know uh, if I put out something that costs this much and all y'all can say is fine, uh, 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 miss me. Bury, bury me. Bury but, me. Right, right. So uh, to, answer, to answer my own question, Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya are up for Best Supporting Actor. That's right. Best Supporting. Both of them. What? I think so who's the, who's the... The front runner for the lead... Uh, like his, I think this is award, an, an awards thing. Because I think the, uh, the running theory is that they're going to give it to Chadwick as a lead. Uh, so if they do that, like the, the category is closed off to everybody. So your your best chance of being recognized is to throw both people. Actually, what it is is that uh, if 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 that's the game I'm playing, uh, what's his name? Uh, Baby Matt Matt Damon played the FBI agent. Oh, Martin Sheen. No, no. Oh no, Jay sorry. Uh, uh, Jesse Plemons. Yeah, Baby Jesse Matt Plemons Damon. There you go. <laughs> Make him lead the movie. Put him in the category. Man, and you know, all right. So I, there's a couple of movies here that I need to watch that. Uh, like trial of the uh, Chicago seven, which is, I'm going to be that guy. It's the trial of the Chicago eight. Um, but you know, whatever it's a, it's, it's a good movie. And I think we were all done a service by having that movie so close to Judas and the black Messiah, though I would have liked to seen Judas and the black Messiah before I saw the trial of Chicago seven, but you know, two different studios and so forth. So on what I'm, 
what I'm really interested in with that conversation and just how much money it takes to get something done or what you have to bet on or who you have to bet on, who you have to talk to is what you had hit on. Like how many people just went up to John Logan and was like, make me understand. And how often do you think he had to have that conversation? Because that man did not really, I mean, he's made some movies, but this, this is a lot. And a lot of people have to trust you, not the process, you. I'm sorry, what was your question? My question is, how many people had to walk up to him and say, make me understand? I don't know. I think this is one of those things that kind of sells itself. Uh, I think if you if it comes to like, make me understand from like, from John Logan, mm. uh, like, wh- why you? I think that might be a bit, bit a, a lot more work. And it, it pays to have really good friends, right? It, like, it works and connects, have people trust you. Because he's not a... John Logan is a completely fine. He's a good writer, a good director. Uh, but really, all you got to tell me is like, I'm about Penny Dreadful. Do you know what that like? The pitch kind of like makes you ask more questions of itself. It's like, have you heard of Penny Dreadful? You heard Frankenstein, Wolfman, uh, Dracula. I'm about to put them all in the show together. And it's going to be uh, a truly, uh, it's going to be wrought with drama and emotion. And I think a lot of people would be incredibly uh, like attuned to that. Mm. And we'll give you a little bit of horror and a lot of, actually a lot of horror. It's going to be like the type of, I don't think that you had to ask a lot of questions because as the, what the show is like, I, I call the show lovely. I think the show is truly lovely. But there is uh, exposed rib cages, uh, blood. Like the first episode is is a crime scene where the only dry spots are where somebody was standing. Like like it's is there's there's as much nudity as you could possibly wish for. Like it's a showtime. It's a it's a premium cable show. Right. It's doing those things. So it's just you know we're going to give you everything that we were known for, and and you might take away a lesson or two about the human condition. <laughs> Um, all right, I'm going to do this thing where I ask my best friend, the movie buff, how many of these movies that he has seen that are nominated for an Oscar before we get out of here because it's just it's fun. Um, the Father. No. Judas and the Black Messiah. Yes. Mank. No. Minari. I'm very sad to say that I have not. I really want to see it so bad. Okay. Uh, Nomadland. Same. I have not seen Nomadland. Promising Young Woman. No. Sound of Metal. Not yet. In the trial of Chicago 7. I'll never watch that. Wow. Why? I don't like Aaron Sorkin. I don't like Aaron Sorkin at all. Like the his his his, his mode of telling a story. The f- and you're going to do it about the trial of Chicago 8? Nah, I'm cool. Hmm. I don't need to see it. Interesting. Yeah. Uh I assume that your list is very much like mine, except you get to add the Trial of Chicago 7? Uh, and Promising Young Woman. Okay. And The Sound of Metal. Okay, so you're just a better movie watcher than I am no, this year. No, no, I just... It's been a tough... RJ, I don't know if I need to tell you this, but it's been a tough year. I was just going to say, I'm amazed that we even have these movies to show. Like, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom apparently is just in here. It's just in here. I mean, I saw that too, but it's just, it's just in here. The United States... Versus Billy Holiday is just in here. 
mean, we got Borat's subsequent movie film up for a Best Supporting Act. Like, yes, it's a horrible year. It's a horrible year. We got a Borat movie that is up for it. It got Oscar nominated. Yeah. Basically, we're saying, hey, did, did you guys make a movie? Cool. Show it to us. And, like, this is kind of like the, the what I've always wanted. Where's from? Lockdown? <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> Say, where's Malcolm and Marie? No, there's, there's, uh, what? Some of that, something else came out. This, a lot of stuff. Where's my coming to America? Yeah. Where's Tiger King in the documentary section? The feature documentary. I'd say that's an upset, right? That has to be, that has to be a, a, a snub. Well, it's because everybody was talking about that. First, was a TV show. TV show, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. But like, I'm looking at the best documentary short, and I'm gonna get to all of these. Uh, because there's a part of me that I'm working mostly in, in nonfiction, but using fiction elements in, in some respects, right? So I'm paying attention to how those things are put together. And one of the things that bothers me about documentary is I can, you got to know who, who the person is and what their, what their catalog is. And like the argument you made for David Ayer in that, yo, you know what you're getting because he made all of these and they're all in the same universe. That, I believe, is super true for documentarians. Like, you have to know who it is you're watching. Like, you, you're, you're not going to watch uh, Morgan Spurlock the way that you watch Ken Michael Burns. Michael Moore. Yeah, Mike, Michael Ken Moore. Ken Burns. Right, people, people. The guys that did Cocaine Cowboys. Yeah, the, the three white guys and the one brown dude. Um, well, actually, Billy Corbin is Billy Corbin Brown. Because these are also those these dudes also did the U, so like they they got a mode, right, right. So like you you have to know what you're looking at, and that I find to be as interesting as anything else in the documentary uh, section because it's a lot like knowing what writer you're reading about this topic. Mm-hmm. You know, like to read Ta-Nehisi Coates is not to read. Um, I'm gonna throw somebody on the bus, uh, David Brooks, yeah, or George Will. Okay, I'm just. Of course, yeah. We're not gonna do that. Those are two different people telling two different stories all the time. Doesn't matter if they saw the same thing; it's coming out different. It's coming out different because lived experience is a big part of how you tell that story. Um, All right, there anything else that uh, that you want to cover about Penny Dreadful or movies or whatever before I uh, close this out? No, I I I guess I wanted just to continue on and and I I thought about it and I still think that I'm right. Well, first off. I, you've confirmed that I'm right, or that it is the case that David Ayer uh, doesn't need his movies to make sense because they all happen in the same universe. You should have, you should have caught harsh time. No, you should have watched Dark Blue, and then watched all of his movies and chronological and Fast and the Furious, and chronological chronological order, and that's just one large LA story, and then occasionally goes back to World War II for Fury. What is David Ayer's Fast and Furious movie? Hold on, don't tell it's me. It's the first. Don't, don't, don't tell me. I wanna, All right. I want to look. It's the first one? Holy smokes! This is a John David Washington moment. <laughs> Collaborated on the screenplay. Collaborated. All right. It's like, there's no way I missed this. There's absolutely no way. Because Rob Cohen made this movie. So you got three dudes on the screenplay. All right. Because I read the, the magazine piece that it was based off of. It's not. It's not at all great. Like, have you read it? 
I know that I've read it years ago. It's got all the things that you look for in a narrative magazine. You got a lead, uh, you have background, you have a um, falling event, you have a climax, you have a conclusion. I mean, it, it hits all the the magazine check boxes, like the way that you write a magazine piece. I feel like I know more about writing magazine pieces than I do um, screenplay, but I all say that to say there are people that are like, yeah, I can write you a story about that person. It's going to fit this structure, and we'll go. GQ uses this. Um, Esquire uses this. But David Ayer, nah, man. Um, he, he, and he, like, he, I'm going to say a thing, and it's going to sound real bad. Okay. And then, we, and then we can just go. We can leave. David Ayer is not a writer. David Ayer is not a director. David Ayer is an auteur. And he had to look at it, all of his movies through that lens. You know— I don't think that's bad at all because the first David Ayer film that I ever watched was also the one that I liked the most. It's not SWAT, it's not Dark Blue, and it's not Fast and Furious or Harsh Times. Is it the training day? No. Okay. It's U571. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote that screenplay. He wrote that screenplay, which proves to me he can do this. He just doesn't do it anymore. He leans into being, as you said, an auteur. Because that's what tax the tax collector has to be. Because it's it's pretty, shot well, it's lit well. All the people's skin looks really nice. You know, uh, I like the costume, but I did did it's he, a, he just wants to have a thing to say about gangs in L.A. Over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, I guess we're putting him in the same box that we put Mar uh, Martin Scorsese now, aren't we? No. Yeah, we are, because that man only I, tells I, one I, story, and it always looks what? this way. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of your Keanu Reeves. I don't have to live with that one. You have to live nah, with that Nah, you wanted to see Keanu Reeves, Forrest Whitaker, Hugh Laurie, Chris Evans coming in the game in a movie, right? Yeah, I'm not going to gonna fight that, of course. Street Kings. Oh, yeah. You like Street Kings? Yeah, I like Street Kings. You telling me that David Ayer couldn't call up Keanu Reeves or, or uh, Chris Evans to get him to, to do that? Uh... That's kind of the thing. David Ayer can call up anybody, and they would say yes. Man. How do I get there? No. I want to get there. Chris Evans did Street Kings. How do, we, how do I miss this? That's 2008. He's Captain America then. What are you doing? Terry Crews is in this movie. How is Terry... Okay. I guess I gotta go watch Three Kings again now. Because that's the other thing. I've seen every David Ayer movie. Maybe that's the reason why I felt let down by this one. Think about that. You've seen every David Ayer movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, Den of Thieves. Where's my Den of Thieves? <laughs> He, that was my that you know what that's my den of thieves like I say it every every four months where's my den of thieves yeah get, where's my triple nine hey, hey there you go it's gonna show up uh, Ron do you want people to follow you do you want people to know what you're doing do you want to be on the internet as a person doing stuff I am on I'm on the internet not doing a whole lot of stuff so if you want to see me and, and creep through my likes go for it you can catch me at uh, Ron of all Twitter, Ron of all trades on Twitter and Instagram. Cool. 
Uh, yeah. Thank you for this. Anytime.